Matthias cut a comical little figure as he wobbled his way along the cloisters with his large sandals flip-flopping and his tail peeping from beneath the baggy folds of an oversized novice's habit. He paused to gaze upwards at the cloudless blue sky and tripped over the enormous sandals, hazelnuts scattered out upon the grass from the rush basket he was carrying. Unable to stop, he went tumbling cowl over tail. Bump! The young mouse squeaked in dismay. Welcome to A Thousand and One Good Nights, a new podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Turn the pages with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they try to understand the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Honestly, I've got to say, rereading this one, I'm, in some ways, I'm a little nervous to talk about it because I feel like I love this so much. And I, when I went, when I went, when I, when I moved back to Texas, uh, I definitely scooped the series up from the house and, and took it back to my, my mom's house and took it back to my own home um, because it was something that I wanted to hang on to. But definitely rereading it, I feel like I think about it a little bit differently. And and I continue to recommend it. And when 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 people with older kids come over, I'm excited to have it on hand for them. But I don't know. It's it's a little different than than some of the children's books that that I that I picked up and reread. Like, yep, that's that's pretty much exactly how I remember it. I, I feel like it, it 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 aged a little differently. Is that is that the case for you when when you reread this? Or yeah, absolutely. Um, I I, w- I would say in general, uh, disappointed might be too strong a word. Uh, but there were I I don't remember it in. I, or I didn't reread. Having just reread it, I w- it, I didn't feel quite so glowy about it. But it, I totally understand why I fell in love with this book as a kid. Like right. It, it, if that kind of makes sense, that that was that was my reaction to reading it again, having you know after a span of, I don't know, twenty years or something like that. Yeah. So and and I think it's a pretty popular book, but just a little bit of context. So it's about um, woodland creatures. It's it's a woodland creature fantasy universe, <laughs> I, I guess. And the, the book makes uh, references to Watership Down and Wind in the Willows, but it's actually pretty distinct from those. So Wind in the Willows is a is a book where animals coexist. Like, you know, the, the mole and, and the rat and badger coexist in a human society. So your frog will, or a toad will steal a car and it'll be chased by a human policeman. And then Watership Down is in some ways a more adult book and, and the rabbits also sort of exist in within human society. So right. humans are antagonists or not so much antagonists, but almost forces of nature that you have to navigate. You know, they they are the, the worn faces extinction from humans and they sometimes they break out other rabbits from a farm where they're being you know kept in captivity, that kind of thing. And. In the book Redwall, the only reference to humans is is really this horse cart that the that the rat horde arrives on. And so that that seems like it came from some kind of human village. But that's at the very beginning of the book, and then that's kind of it. Like it Yeah. There's no real tr- and then in the, 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 the other books in which they expand the universe, um, it's even more this sort of medieval uh woodland creature society of mice and badgers are the sort of protagonists and then rats and stoats, ferrets, foxes, those are sort of the villains. Um, and, and then it's kind of like 
typical young adult high fantasy, but instead of questing young men, it's questing mice, (laughs) (laughs) like trying to find mythical swords and and, and things like that. Do you think... um... Do you think it matters? Like, that's one thing I, at, when I first started rereading this, I was thinking, oh yeah, is this like, are there humans in here? Or are there not? And, but then the, the second layer is like, does that matter for the story? Like you talked about in Watership Down, like wrestling with humans is sort of a part of the, of the story in the universe. But humans do not enter here at all. And there's, and all the animals, they create human-like things. Like they build an abbey and they right. have swords and shields. And even though a, a horse cart sound, sort of implies that maybe there's some kind of a human there, right? It, it's it's also that it's it the way it's described is that it's it's about human sized, like it's right. not. Well, that's well that that's the thing is that I was trying to figure out is what's the scale like, and I yeah. was obsessed with this when I was a kid, <laughs> and and I would I'd try and work out okay the Redwall Abbey that the mice build how tall is it? Is it something where the the door is the the size of a door for a mouse, or is it the size of like an actual abbey? because the fact that the 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 rats Clooney's horde tries to scale the walls using a tree it seems like it's at least the height of a tree so that's an almost impractical height for for, <laughs> for, a, for a mouse heavy or this isn't just like a a thing where it's like a you know there's a a human house and then in the bottom of the wall of the human house there's a mouse sized door this is right. like an almost you know fully realized but it's also possible. It's also possible that that the that everything is just like scaled down. So if you think of a tree in proportion to a normal human being, maybe the trees in Redwall are just slightly shrunken down. They're more proportional no, to a mouse. Well, it's kind of interesting. So, am I, so I, I I did all these measurements and things like that, and then I I took the the problem to my dad, and he was like, "Why is this what you're concerned about? Do you think this is impractical, and not the fact that?" mice are talking to each other and forging swords like that's not the <laughs> the hump that you have to overcome <laughs> i was like yeah but no I, yeah but but i'm just saying like why do the, the why does the avenue need to be so big you know but, but do, you, uh, do you think that's deliberate though could that be i don't know could that be intentional I maybe i don't it, it's hard and the other thing is that there's a it's not just that there aren't any humans there's not very the horse is an exception there's very rarely large creatures it's these sort of mm-hmm. uh british woodland creatures every now and then i think in one of the later series there's like a i don't know sort of exotic lizards will crop up and every now and then there'll be uh an uh, an eagle or a swan or something like that that's a little bit larger in scale yeah. but typically like the biggest the biggest creature is going to be a badger right. and the badgers and that and that's a big point of the badger is the biggest and strongest kind of most hulking and so that kind of t- that, that's the the top of the food chain in, t- in terms of size um at least and then other other large creatures like a, a pike or a tr- they're almost treated as as uh, novelties right but right. so so maybe it matters and so this is one of the things uh, to, to wait into is that in some ways it, it the it, it kind of complicates the morality or it, it's a different conversation about the morality of conflict in the book because you've got you know, I, I feel like this is a pretty, this is a bloodthirstier uh, series than I remember. Yeah. Like, did, did that strike you too? It's like, fairly you, graphic, actually. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, I mean, so all the the rats in Clooney's Horde when he comes and besieges this Abbey of Peaceful Mice, all the, all of his lieutenants die in pretty gruesome ways. You know, they yeah, get they fall from walls burnt, and they, they get... fall from walls, or they'll get skewered by a giant crossbow bolt, right. or they'll when they're mined under it and they they, they pour you know, boiling soup or something, you know, they're, they're, yeah. it's all, there's a, 
kind of a macabre way that they're all dealt with and and, and to be fair, it's not it's not graphic in the sense that they're not describing the the boils on their flesh after burning, but it it doesn't shy away at all from talking about how things oh, and that things die and sometimes by right, violent like, means. That's right. Well, I mean, and when you know when a when someone's skull is crushed by a you know piece of masonry or something, right. something like that, I get, you know it doesn't delve into detail. Like it's not a Tarantino esque <laughs> type thing, but I mean it's not. I mean, it definitely isn't like, oh, who knows what happened to Fangbro? Like, no, we know, right. we know Fangbro's <laughs> Yeah. And, and so, and maybe is that easier? So I, I feel like it's interesting is a lot of young adult books are are pretty violent. I mean, that you, you fight monsters and there's a lot of fighting in young adult series. I, and, and those, I, I definitely loved it as a kid. Like that was one of my favorite things. I, I would read the battle scenes over and over again. Right. But it's kind of like if it if it's, sort of humans fighting humans, it gets a little tricky when you're sort of gleefully recounting, you know, what happens. The high, warm sun shone down on Clooney the Scourge. Clooney was coming. He was big and tough, an evil rat with ragged fur and curved, jagged teeth. He wore a black eye patch. His eye had been torn out in battle with a pike. Clooney had lost an eye. The pike had lost its life. Even like in the Marvel movies, they're often, you know, aliens or goblins. There's right. some kind of, you know, they don't seem, it, it seems okay for them to, 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 to be killed in this manner. So, so you're saying maybe the fact that it's animal, like these animals being killed like this, it, it's sort of a bridge for, for kids to kind of, ease into the idea of conflict and death in, within stories. Right. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, one of the main villains of, of the Redwall book is uh, Asmodeus. I, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. how you hear it in your head, yeah. said, which is the, which is the snake, the, the, the adder. And I don't know, cu- cutting the head off the adder, that, that's like killing a snake seems, I don't know that like, it, it's easier to have a snake personify evil, you know, for kids maybe than, you know, the, the a more morally complicated villain, right? Or, or, or like a human villain, I, I should say. Yeah. So I, I think it. Yeah. To me, it feels like it eases uh, it eases kids into that world. You know, like they're and, they're going to end up reading books about humans killing humans. Uh, and in some ways, there's almost a net. You you see conflict. Like there's, it's these carnivores typically, or if like the weasels and and foxes versus sort of these peaceful vegetarian uh, mice. Though there's an interesting thing where they, like they eat fish. Fish, yeah. So, so like, and is that, but in, and in some, so what, like what kind of decision is that? They, you know, it's mostly candy chestnuts, but every now and then they'll catch a trout <laughs> and that doesn't seem like, a, like that they're violating any kind of moral code or, uh, I don't know. It, and the fact that uh, some of the other, they're, they're not sort of, villains but they're kind of morally ambiguous like the owl captain snow in this Mm -hmm. one he he by the end he agrees to give up uh hunting shrews Shrews. and and mice but but he still eats some of the 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 wicked ferrets and stoats but the point is like in nature you have animals the other animals and does that make them wicked when you when you have an all animal i guess cast of characters i feel like this is the kind of questions you have to answer like what what kind of violence is acceptable when you're talking about I've, okay, two questions. How old were you when you read these, approximately? Oh, Do you remember? I bet. Yeah, I bet I was. I, I maybe 
fairly young, maybe eight or nine. Eight, yeah, nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, somewhere in there. That's kind of how I how I feel too. So as a kid reading these, do you? I assume did you read these by yourself or with a parent? By myself, yeah. yeah. So do you remember thinking about this stuff, like kind of the the morality of it, or even like the gruesomeness of it? Or... Uh, not not really the gruesomeness of it, honestly. But the morale, I do remember thinking like why. Hmm. Like, why is it okay? Why is it okay for them to eat the eat, eat the trout? Yeah. You know, I, I remember I remember having that thought like as a <laughs> as, as a as a child. So right, yeah, and especially the the thing with the owl at the end. It, it's it, the book definitely goes out of the way to say the owl was definitely eating these shrews, and and by the end he's chummy chummy with them. So I think right. that that pretty clearly is an invitation to think through. I don't know that it necessarily makes a statement about ethics, but it's kind of, it's an invitation to, for kids to start thinking about that stuff. Right. And, and the other thing I'll say is that, um, the, so I didn't read Redwall, which is the first book in the, in, in the series. First, I read Mossflower, which is the, the second book, which is the triumphant prequel to Redwall. And I think it's a much better in terms of the writing style. I yeah. think that he kind of grew, he kind of came into his own, after the success of the first book and it's, and the map in, in the first book, do you, do you remember the, the, the map? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's pretty, it's just very simple. It's just very simple. There's like the road and the Abbey and then there's like a farmhouse and a, there's not, it was just more of a, like, like a chart of, of the, of like the, the immediate environs of the Abbey rather than kind of the standard young adult fantasy map that gives you the, uh, the, the whole world. Even stuff, a Middle Earth kind of map where it's just right. so you could open up and there's so much going on. And by the second book, Mossflower, it has one of those maps where it shows kind of the, the wider world of, you know, rivers and ocean and that, you know, mountain ranges that, that you know, kind of large, like top level topography. And um, by the second book, he's already sort of it's a slightly more complicated world where there's a, a sympathetic wildcat who's a friend. And so he's it's not just stoats versus mice you know it's a it's a little bit more complicated yeah than... this is the the dynamic we saw with the Perdane stories too right. right where the first one's definitely more cartoony and then it it evolves into something more sophisticated as the stories go on right though i would say you know in terms well, well what did you think you said that you were a little bit like you remember why you liked it but when you said that the glow wasn't as strong like what yeah i feel like um the it's not it it's a little um I guess some of the writing, like the, just just the the dialogue, sometimes is kind of clunky in places, and it's a little, it's not as uh, it's not as tight overall. Like the plot is a little, right, feels a little loosey goosey sometimes, and it like it could it could have been a more condensed um, kind of story. And the characters are not, um, they're not a, certainly not as like psychologically sophisticated, um, which which makes sense. Um, Although, and we can because talk about, they're mice, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but because it's the first one, right? Like, and this right. pattern is probably normal for, I, I would think, for a lot of authors. I mean, Tolkien did it with The Hobbit, right. you know, right? Prydain, all those ones. Um, it's all, it's almost like a sketch, like the author does yeah. kind of the sketch first, like a short story, and then they kind of fill it out if it turns out to be something that resonates with people, right? Um, and they also learn, I think they, they, I assume they kind of grow and and, and learn as they go, um. So yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, although, and, and we can talk more about this too, and, and I'm curious to hear what your kind of critiques are. Um, but there is, I, I do remember this this ability the author has to take, you know, 
animal characters that aren't super sophisticated psychologically, but to give them somehow imbue them with a lot of personality with very little. Like you, yeah. you really get a sense for, even though I wouldn't describe them as really deep characters, they're, they are very like round as opposed well, to being kind of flat. I feel like, I feel like they're, he, ha, he has it and uh, Dickens has it and Agatha Christie has it where they can have a, a sort of instantaneous, like an instantaneously round character yeah. through, through like he'll, he'll pick up on a mannerism of, of a particular mannerism and that mannerism kind of form sketches out like a character very quickly. Yep. yep. You know, and it's like, Oh, that's a, a, a character, you know, whether it's a hair or something that they'll, they'll have a, they'll have a particular quirk that they do. And that it's very easy to build around that and, and form a pretty, you know, in just, and it's not like it's from the dialogue. It's just something that character does and like, Oh yeah, I could, that really sets them apart. And, 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 I, and I can remember it even, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 25 years later. So yeah, very memorable. I think that's probably the right. way that I think they really stick as kind of like images in your head. Um, yeah, for sure. What, what, what was your, what were your kind of impressions rereading it? That's the same, you know, it's a kind of clunky, the dog kind of clunky, more bloodthirsty than I remembered. And, and, and just, there were just some things that, I don't know, I, they kind of gave me uh, chills as a kid. Like, oh man, like, <laughs> like sometimes they'd make a use of an exclamation mark in the text. And I remember as a, you know, uh, I, I forget what like a specific passage might be, but um, Clooney was coming, like death followed. There'd, there'd be, there'd be right. some kind of like dramatic <laughs> statement. And there'd, and there'd be like a, a series of exclamation marks. And as a kid, I was like, oh my gosh. I, I, just, I have a feeling of dread. And as a, um, as a nine-year-old, that, <laughs> that, that really landed. And then right. as someone in their early 30s, it was like, huh. I mean, I have, I, I, maybe I've just, I've just kind of graduated to, it doesn't have the same effect. But, uh, but, but then some things really did. Like there was, um, there was a scene where, uh, this uh, rat shadow s- steals a tapestry and then mm-hmm. falls off the wall and dies. And um, it, he has kind of just the description of his pale eyes kind of fading in death. And he says, uh, the, ta- you know, he, the, the tapestry Martin is with Clooney now. And his voice was strangely calm. And there was, an, I, I don't know, for some reason that, that still kind of achieved the, I, I, and I remember it, it resurrected the feeling that I had when I read it as, a, as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. Yeah, that overall it, it can be kind of clunky, but there are definitely these moments. Yeah, that point so I'd say to. yeah, uneven, but but every, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, it. He's he's definitely got a. Uh, you, once again, I was like, yeah, I, I can see why people really like these books. Mm-hmm. When when you were a kid, was what was the thing that you liked about them the most? Was it just the endless descriptions of all the feasts that they have, like the candy chestnuts? Those there? were pretty. Was, was it was it the, <laughs> the feasts? I, I remember this is one of the many books that really built up a habit of snacking while, while reading. Eating. <laughs> while reading. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, part of it is just the, the, that I almost think of it as kind of an Indiana Jones like combination of action, adventure, humor, a little bit of romance, like that perfect kind of like adventure story, mystery. It had, right. it has There's all a the riddles, swords, you know, so it, it's just like really gets the right, balance for like a young kid kind of adventure story um so i remember loving that i also very distinctly remember i feel like this book had a big impact on me in terms of uh 
just the act of reading in the sense that I, I think this was one of the first like big books and certainly series of big books that I remember reading through and feeling very like a sense of <laughs> like my, my daughter is four now like it's all about um you know some people are big girls and some people are little girls you know and, right. and this s- sense of like growing up and becoming so th- re- starting to read these these were like major but you know 300 whatever pages lot tons of chapters um so i remember feeling a lot of like pride and accomplishment that i was reading this like pretty big hefty book um, what were you reading before that were you were you tearing through those like hundred book series of you know, like the, the, where they're all, they're, they're pretty short chapter books. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, I and think then like, there's a sense of completion. Like, I mean, you can, you can just crush those and like, <laughs> like three, three or four of them in a day. I mean, if you're really dedicated to it and then it's a little, if, if you move from that to a book like this, there's a sense of, am I, yeah, when you're me, not they, getting through the story. It's fact you've really got to, like, you, even remembering who everybody is, cause there's different points right. of view and it, you'll be gone from, one character for quite a while, you know, there's the, the kind of the POV. This feels sort of like in between the Hardy boys and Harry Potter. Yeah. Kind of like that. You know, the Hardy boys were like some of those like real faster kind of, kind of cruise right. through. Um, and, and this one kind of, yeah, but it introduced both the idea of longer, more substantial, complicated chapter books, um, which it which it does nicely by having really short chapters for the right. most part. So it kind of speeds you along and gives you that sense of progress. Um, but it's it's not it's not quite at that level of um, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or something like that. Um, yeah. Well, one thing that I think is interesting is that, so some of the books that it gets lumped in with, like Watership Down, it's like well these are both fantasies about animals, but really, I mean, is it Watership Down is not as much of a there's some pretty adult stuff that goes on in Watership Down and is it just because like animals are are supposed to be more kid friendly like if it's a book about animals must be a kids book <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> right, or... right no and this it, well it's interesting it, it, it's interesting to think about whether it is actually a fantasy novel or it is. so it's fantastic in the sense that it's animals talking um but there's nothing like there's no i don't think there's any magic in it right no but there there's that that prophecy where it's uh, martin Le- leaves the the martin the warrior leaves a riddle for matthias to solve okay. and he sort of knows in the future that matthias is going to be there and then live yeah. leaves a, a, a riddle with his successor's name however many generations in the future so there's maybe not magical but there's definitely a mystical element to it a little bit yeah but that was one thing that struck me rereading it is that it's it's very um, <laughs> like it's very human. Um, like yeah. it, there isn't tons of magic or or really even really even like really dramatic, crazy kind of events. You know, there there aren't like volcanoes exploding or right. it, it's it's very uh, down to earth <laughs> in a lot right. of ways. <laughs> right. But also manages to be really exciting um, and fun too. So I think that's kind of a an underappreciated part of it that I, I didn't really, that I only kind of thought about as I reread it. The, the, the fun at, or you mean like sort of the, the practical fun of it. What do you, what do you mean? Like t- talk a little bit more about that. I feel like it just like, so like we talked about how the author has kind of a, a, a Dickens esque knack for really quick, like efficiently filling out a character with very little. Yeah. Um, similarly, I, I feel like he's good at, making he made a rip-roaring adventure story without um without tons of like flash and unnecessary pizzazz right and there's i think there's something i I get as an adult there's something um 
that's like I can I really appreciate that in itself. Yeah. The fact that it's kind of economical in how it achieves its the story. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I think that there there'd be he, he he avoids overdoing it a lot. You know, which, which is, yeah, which there's is restraint. Fun, yeah, which, which is funny in a book about you know, like exclamation sort of points aside, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and I think that your Hardy Boys and and uh, uh, Harry Potter's somewhere in between those it actually kind of has elements of both. And that like the Hardy Boys, there's like the the riddles aren't especially complicated, but they I hadn't really encountered a lot of sort of problem solving and wordplay yeah. like that. You know, and, and a lot of the books have that where you have to solve these sort of word jumbles <laughs> or, or, or something something like that to figure out you know, where the, the sword is hidden or the, the path to the mountain of Salamanderson or, or something like that. And so that's kind of lower, lower level stuff. But then there are some kind of more, I mean, there's, you know, important characters do die. I mean, there is like the, the sadness of characters dying. So it's, it's a little, you know, it's not just fun and games for, yeah. you know, six year olds. It, it kind of inhabits that space between the two of them. Maybe yeah. And plot and plot complexity, right? Like switching right. back and forth between um, Matthias on his adventures, the Abbey people defending, and then Clooney. Um, like that's, but but it it man, I feel like it manages to do that in a, in a way that's fairly graceful and easy for youngish kids to kind of get into. And is that I mean, and is the fact that uh, that it uses animals does that help somehow? Because I feel like one thing about animals is that, first of all, kids love animals. That there's a reason why so many books are about kids. Kids' books are about animals, and that they already have. Like, it, 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 maybe it's even easier to to characterize some of these things because obviously, you know, from the get go, if you know, if something's a if, if a creature's a fox, you can kind of picture how he's different yeah. than than the mouse. So I think that's you right. can you can have these mannerisms very quickly in it. And it, and you, you don't keep have to track say, of a complex yeah. cast of characters more easily. Right. That's, that's exactly right. You know, and, 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 and because you know, like, well, it's natural that a, a fox would do this. You, it, it saves you some time. Um, and then they can, and then you already have the, you know, they have sort of, I don't know. I, I feel like in all these fantasy or, or kind of action superhero type books, like people specialize skills. It's always, it's, that's an, mm-hmm. that's always an exciting element. And, the moles are obviously great diggers, you know, so they, they already have these kind of special skill sets and that that's kind of exciting to kids too. Right. Right. Yeah. It's very trans, even the, uh, even how, um, it's transitional in the sense that there, you know, it's a 350 plus page book. There's tons of chapters, there's complex or, or the beginnings of complex characters and plots going on, but each chapter has like a little illustration at the top. Right. So it doesn't, it, it still kind of leaves you a holdover of from picture books and, and younger, books which I, you know, I i was shocked how many of those images at the beginning of the chapters brought back like a visceral nostalgic feeling where i, I literally i remembered them and i remember like feeling excited about the one or or kind of like ooh, you know about different well, ones so that well how did you why, how did you experience those pictures when you were a kid like if you saw you know the beginning of a, a chapter is i don't know some kind of armored rat holding a a spear like i bet oh i can't wait to see how this happens or is it there's how how much a role in the the narrative did those illustrations those chapter illustrations play for you yeah i think i remember being confused by them because sometimes they are they they allude to something that is going to happen um 
like a specific plot event, but sometimes they're a little bit more just sort of symbolic or descriptive too. They're not necessarily foreshadowing something. Um, so I think I, I sort of, the rule I first got was they, they give you a little clue as to what's going to happen, but then that kind of gets violated at different points. So you, and I think that's kind of good that it's, it, there's sort of a tension there. That, that's how I remember um, reading them. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's, I think that's right. And, and, and then I, these were definitely books that I reread. So I, they, they were helpful markers for me. Like I'd, I'd see a little illustration. I go, Oh yeah, this is, this is where they fall right. into the, the pit or, you know, something like that happens. Right. And, oh. and, and, and also uh, this is one of the, one of the books that I would uh, read. I would definitely have favorite passages. Yeah. And I would just reread a particular fight between a, like a, a mouse and a snake or the, when he goes to the, the sparrow loft and has that conflict. And so as a kid, I would just reread those three pages over and over and over and over again. And the, the illustrations helped me track down and, and remember what, yeah, instead of, Oh yeah. Chapter 47, right. <laughs> my, my favorite. Right. right. How, okay. So I, I, I have a kind of a more contemporary question about, we, it sounds like both of us read these on our own as kind of middle elementary school kids. Um, but my, one of my thoughts was, if okay so let's say my kids would normally around the same age eight or nine or so want to start reading this and be capable of reading it independently what if i wanted to read it to them slightly earlier like when have you thought through that like how would you would you introduce this earlier would you kind of leave it around for them to discover and if you would introduce it when seems like the right age for that yeah i don't know i don't know if these i think these are books that i might Definitely say, hey, you should you should read these on because I bet part of the, I remember ha- really enjoying taking them kind of off to kind of a like a private place and just yeah really just like tackling them and and honestly there's other books that I, that I think are m- more pleasant to read aloud right as a you know where the, where the sort of the, the the pacing and the the diction is maybe like, these are like like we said there's some really good words and scenes and mannerisms but in, in terms of this is a great book to read aloud i don't know if this would be i mean i would do it especially if they wanted me to, to read aloud but i think it would not be the first series that sure. i did that with yeah yeah it's an inter- it's an interesting kind of dilemma generally that because as you alluded to there, there's something really special about discovering a book yourself and kind of reading it on your own and it being your thing and so it as as a i don't know as a pretty proactive uh, reader, um, with my kids, I'm always, there's almost a danger in being too proactive, right? And that as people who are really enthusiastic about books and bedtime stories and reading, and, um, I I could imagine falling too far on that extreme and needing a little restraint in terms of just leaving some out there for them to discover. Yeah. But the other thing is I haven't really thought about this, um, in terms of having more than, you know, kids of different ages. Like if, 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 one kid really is into it and then the other kid is excited about the world but doesn't have the same uh, facility with reading maybe i would read sections aloud so that they could participate oh, you know yeah. does, does oh, that interesting uh-huh yeah totally. but but i guess we'll have to i mean in some ways it's kind of going on a limb here because this is i, I experienced it as a as a kid but that was a while ago and i'm still a few years away from maybe experiencing this as a parent so like talking talking about books that fall into that space, it's it's kind of it's it's a it's a little, it's a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's like just uh, must have been a few weeks ago, my daughter pulled out that I have this 
big hardbound like special edition version of the the hobbit and she she saw it on a kind of a side shelf and, and pulled it off and was like really fascinated by it for 15 minutes so just, she can't actually read yet but she was you know looking at the map and like there's illustrations scattered throughout the so you can see kids like kind of I think we tend to think of, well, they find a book and they get into it, or we introduce a book and then they read it or, or not, but it's really not as binary as that. I think in a, in a lot of cases, right? Kids in layers, they start to discover books, which is right. just a really cool process. Yeah. And the way the books kind of live in your house too. One of the things I am excited about this is, um, I like, like you said, I remember a lot of details from these books. So I feel pretty confident that if, um, my kid, reads them i can i can feel a lot of questions like about oh, the book. Yeah. Like, who's like i remember i remembered a lot of the names and and like even the weapons that they use and and, <laughs> and, 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 and things like that and so i could it, it, it's nice to have something that i've experienced almost exhaustively so like why did he do that or even if they have kind of troubling ethical questions about, yeah. about the book i can i know what they're talking about is not coming completely out of left field not that i'm reading it necessarily as, as like a censor but I'm prepared ahead of time right. for, for what they want to talk about. Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Thousand and One Good Nights. If you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories, check out our website at a thousand and one goodnights.com. That's one zero zero one goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week. 